0: A huge shout out of thanks to our major sponsor, PerTech. If you have Pertec on your team, they will never let you down. Visit PerTech at PerTech.com.au. And for all your travel needs, make sure you visit our great friends at Tripodeal. tripadeal.com.au Welcome team. I have a great friend and a great guest to bring to you today. I'm sure there'll be some nuggets of gold that will inspire you without a doubt. Uh, James Tahuna. James, a lot of fight fans remember you as a UFC fighter. I know you as way more than that. Um, But there will be a lot of listeners that tune straight in because of the UFC. So we definitely need to go there. Uh, When I record these podcasts, I'm always asking how can this help ...someone else, how can this help the listener? You do a lot of stuff in youth work now... ...which is, I'm sure there's some listeners that could uh, benefit from hearing. You also do some work in coaching at a very elite level. You're currently at the Penrith Panthers... Uh, ...working in the, the uh, space no one wants to talk about... ...the wrestling space, <laughs> uh, combat space. Um, but there's a lot of mental stuff that goes on with your work as well. So I'm sure this conversation will go many ways, including let's learn a little bit about yourself. But I definitely want to revisit, and for the listeners that don't know, I did used to work for you as uh, part of your team in the fight days, some great memories. Um, But let's revisit some of them. Here it comes. Here it comes. Interesting, your reaction of some of this. Is that your first fight? That one? Yeah. You're a bad thing. So this might be awkward for the listeners on the audio because they can't see what we're watching. We're sitting here watching highlights of your career. One of those fights was before the UFC. I think it was the one to make the UFC. Mm. Um, you probably have faced many more microphones than this. I remember we were in uh, Colorado or Vegas for one of your fights. And I remember there was just you were mobbed in the casino. We were backstage for the weigh-in. Mike Tyson came in with Dana White, like the lifestyle you were living was pretty crazy when you think about it. You yeah, know? yeah. Like like yep. I, re- I remember backstage in that room and and Mike Tyson walks in the room and all these world class fighters, they wanted to to meet him and but basically he was there to respect and watch you guys, you know. At the time I think Mark Hunt might have been the main event on that one. And yep. um yeah, I I was privileged to be a part of your team for some of those camps. One of them, I think, there. Remember, you won one fight with a, you knocked a guy out with an uppercut like forty-seven seconds into a fight. Was that in Colorado? I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if even if I could share part of that journey, you also enjoy what you do. Like that that journey had a lot of challenges for that <laughs> fight. Remember, <laughs> yeah. but also. You enjoyed what you did to the point, if I could share with the listeners, I'm just, these flashbacks are coming after watching that video. The morning of the fight, you and your brother got us all out in the backyard because you hired this big house and you put all your team up in this house and you pumped the music out of one of the cars. I think it might have even been Bob Marley music. It was so mellow and, but. You, play, you actually played sparring. If you could play sparring, for some listeners that have never sparred, you you got out there, you all put your mouth guards and your headgears on. Honestly, I was watching going, this is like kids in the backyard playing footy. You guys just said, right, let's go out, and you had a little punch. And, but your brother was deliberately doing what was going to happen that night with your opponent, and you hit your brother with an uppercut. And I remember he celebrated, like he just got punched by you, but he ran around the backyard celebrating because he knew that was the punch that would win the fight. And we jumped in the cars, we go to the stadium, we're talking like hundreds of millions of viewers, like this is big. We go to the stadium with Bob on in the car and, you get in this focus zone where, like, you're not talking to any of us but you're just in your little space and then you went out there and you knocked him out in 47 seconds with the same punch that you hit your brother with that morning. What type of memories does that bring back to you? Because it was great memories for me.
1: The, the memory that stands out the most is the environment that I was in. The coaches that are around me, yourself. And a few others, and the training partners, so that environment played a played a huge part yeah. that's a massive part of it, yeah, keep it myself because I mean I had <laughs> challenges, some pretty you know decent challenges in the last couple of weeks leading up to their fight, yeah. where um I guess most people would have uh not executed like I did, yeah. but my environments. Uh, leading up to that vi- uh, fight and the people that I was surrounded by um, helped me stay focused and um, visualise yeah. about that shot and landing. Yeah. So that's it. I couldn't have done it by myself.
0: Yes. No. I. Well, that's great that you remember that because we didn't even talk about this beforehand. It's only just come to me while we've watched that video. When you talk about environment and the people that you put in place, people may not realise the sacrifices you made for that camp, even financially. So you knew what to do. You know how to fight. You, the resources you had to put the resources around you. And and I remember it went it was some quite expense to have. I mean, if I could tell people how much you paid me, that was ridiculous. No, I'm only kidding. But, um, <laughs> Just trying to keep my price up, you know. If anyone's listening, I come at a high price. But um, you hired a house, you employed staff, you employed people. Um, they surrounded you. And then the challenges along the way, those type of people were so experienced... ...that they could move with it. You know, there was no panic. There was no panic at all. Um, even even to the point I even rung, I, it's only coming to me now. I remember getting Tawira Nikau... ...on the phone to you the night before you fight... ...because people don't know who Tawira Niko is. He was a, he was a famous rugby league player that you idolised as a kid. And I heard that you idolised him as a kid. And you guys grew up pretty similar. And I just felt on that day you may have needed someone else's voice... ...and not not mine, even though I, n- I knew what message he was about to give you. Yeah. And so I rang Stephen Kearney who... uh. …former great as well and Kiwi coach at the time and… …because I knew he had Tawera's number. I said, could you get Tawera to call James Tuna on this number? And I remember I came upstairs and said, hey James, could you answer your phone? There's a call coming through. I don't know what he said but I do know the message he would have delivered. And um, that was all just great memories coming back. You had a great team. You always had your brother by your side. That was crucial. Crucial. You had someone that you trusted with your life who coordinated all of us like he was like you trusted him to be basically the CEO and look after everything yeah and the focus was on you and yeah just some great times mate thank you for having me a part of that um oh man yeah. it's been a
1: yeah a wicked wicked journey that was a wicked experience that was yeah. an awesome experience yeah I love that one I mean, you came up and you handed the phone over to me I didn't know who it was yeah until I started talking and then you explained who it was I was like oh oh man oh yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't even know what to say so he's talking away and I'm like <laughs> I'm sitting there listening to him and there's a silence on my end and I'm like oh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, uh. <laughs> it, he was your idol growing up why was that because he was a lot like, just like a, a hearty a hearty man you know just he was always just through his um he had a lot of challenges yeah and he um dug deep and he and he got through that, those challenges and i guess that was something that i always saw like uh that tough stuff that hard stuff to make you get a win yeah. to get better yeah cuz i wasn't i wasn't talented i don't have no talent i i come last at everything and um i knew that to get better I had to do more reps than everyone else and that attitude um, started at a young age and then I got better from that. Okay. Well,
0: we might as well go back there. Let's let's go back to the young age and let's talk about this journey because you just said you come last at everything. I find that hard to believe but <laughs> because I've seen you since. It doesn't matter what you do, you want to win. It doesn't matter if it's in the cage, in anywhere, like you want to win. In the gym, in the in lot whatever. Um, you're a winner, but you just said you used to come last at everything. Uh talk me through that because this is interesting.
1: So I started boxing when I was uh 12 years old. Prior to that, in school, um come last at everything. The high jump, the sprint races, everything you know. I was a bench warmer for um rugby growing up in New Zealand. Um Yeah, so I wasn't a great um, athlete, I was happy to be a a participant, Uh, but I knew I was capable of a lot more, and it kind of bugged me that I come last all the time, so I learned that in order to get better from watching role models on TV, like Mike Tyson and David Tour, these guys, um, I saw them running 4am in the morning, putting those hard yards, and I thought, okay, That's what i got to do to get better. So then when we were trained as a group or by myself, I always like push myself a little bit longer, if we trained in a group, let's say if we ran for 40 minutes, I'll do um, 41, 42 minutes. it was always a bit more than everyone else. If we were to do a hundred reps of burpees, I'll do, well no, 101. It was always a bit more than everyone else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What got you into fighting?
1: Um, So what got me into fighting was I grew up as a I had a lot of learning difficulties I was quite shy, quite timid Still am, still struggle to manage with that I had a lot of learning difficulties Had a bad stutter um, Was a fence sitter Was pretty um, um, Very reserved I was super, super quiet I wouldn't say boo And um, Yeah, I think it on, like stuff happened at home sort of thing. You know, well, I grew up in amongst um, domestic violence, mum and dad, but um, later on in life, I got to learn what dad went through as a kid. And uh, yeah, he experienced something shocking that, um, um yeah, that, that brought about uh, PTSD, a severe PTSD that he had. And um, so me and my brother, we grew up learning how to manage those experiences that went inside within the family. And, um, yeah, I I guess, like, going through school and through primary school and high school was a hard stage for me. Like, I was always felt, like, unsafe or, like, awkward and just not knowing how to behave, not knowing, you know, didn't want to get judged and stuff like that. And, um, you know, suffered a little bit of bullying because I was at target to hit. Um, Come last at everything, kind of, like, felt down, but I knew I was capable of a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like, wanted to, you know, do something, be something, you know, get better, like build myself up and um, I started doing it. Yeah, started started working a bit harder than everyone else.
0: Mate, you um,
1: – I don't know how much you want to share or go into there
0: but I appreciate you talking about that just then. Like your dad's a great man. I actually saw him only a couple of weeks ago. He he drove past and he saw me did a U turn stuff. Coming giving <laughs> a big hug. He's such a great bloke. Um but you just said later in life you understood what he went through. So at the time it's pretty heavy, right? Like it's a pretty violent lifestyle you're living and um but then you you actually said you understand stuff. Like is that something you talk about? Because I know you do a lot of youth type stuff. Do you, do you talk about, like, it, it sounded like a tough time for you. Yeah. Yeah. Is it something you talk about?
1: Uh, yeah, I do. You do? I guess, like, um. back then when I was growing up and, you know, the past generation too was quite common to shove that under the carpet and not, you know, forget about it, don't bring it up, yeah. just bear it and that's it but the thing is they can and you know, they come back and you know and get you and, and kind of limit you as well put some limits on you so yeah. um there was uh i started um discussing it and bringing it up and understanding the way things that rolled out during those times and then uh through further education and and reading and, and learning and having these chats and discussions, conversations, um, just everything starts clicking in place and you, you get to learn why these behaviors happen, um, how to manage those emotions. And um, yeah, it's just just been a, um, I'm still working on it, our family's still working on it. Yeah. Yeah, we're still working on these challenges. Um, but we're definitely, um, you know, things could have gone oh real real bad um, a number of times it's real real bad and um i guess through having that like tight family tight team we all worked it out together and just kept that love within the family no matter what we went through what we experienced the trenches that we went through we just kept that love for one another um strong yeah. no matter what person was going through some stuff yeah
0: Yeah, yeah, so, man, um, that's awesome that you shared that... ...and it's awesome that you helped your your dad and you guys stayed rock solid, you know. Like uh, I've seen it, you and your brother and your mum, your dad. Like I've I've seen it, yeah, where it's hard for me to explain. But like even you and your brother together was just like... ...yeah, it was just something special that the two of you went on a bit of a journey together. and, And it was a rough upbringing you said you you took on the fight game but you actually have never had a street fight in your life is this true
1: Yeah. so zero conflict zero arguments zero fights i was the the kid that didn't want to get involved and kind of step myself away from that if someone wants to put it on me yeah then i would like back out and just you know fight flight freeze that was me to yeah freeze i wouldn't know how to cope
0: and then you've turned into this elite, I, I don't mean like local pub fights, I'm talking elite on the world stage, cage fighter where you had to be a master of many different disciplines, striking, kickboxing, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, whatever, all, the little, all the little intricacies that go into being elite at that level. But you never had a fight on the streets. I, th- I thought that was a great story to share you. And now, obviously, you encourage people not to. You're doing a lot in the youth type space. But let's go back to growing up as a fighter. Idolised, you said uh, Tyson. Uh, who else? David Tua. David Tua. Yep. Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt. John Alomu. John Alomu. Yep. Did you once tell me Bruce Lee?
1: Yeah, Bruce Lee? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There's something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So...
0: Um, Talk me through from, say, 12 when you used to avoid conflict, you used to not speak in class, you used to come last. The next, say, six years, 12 to 18,
1: there's some pretty crucial years in your development. Talk me through that. Uh, Boxing, I started out with the boxing, then moved on to the different disciplines like jiu-jitsu, wrestling, kickboxing, Um, um, and it pretty much like in short, uh, fight training, combat training, it was like a vehicle to be able to, you know, move, help me navigate through those emotions that I'd been struggling with. Yeah. So, uh, so I started out with boxing and boxing is like a, a fearful thing, right? Like to get in there and, you know, to punch a bag is one thing, to hit bad, uh, pads and stuff, yeah. but then to jump into a ring and, and spar or fight another person that's gonna, you know, that wants to hit you and hurt you. That's like a this is hostile environment. Mm-hmm. It's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. It still is a scary thing for me, but yeah. I've learned over the years to be able to manage my emotions to get myself safe through practice and training. And, um, yeah, it's a, been a great vehicle to be able to manage my emotions, give me self-confidence, self-esteem, knowing that I can uh, protect myself and those around me. Yeah, And um, a yeah, great confidence boost. So it's, it's been a – it's a it's a great vehicle. Yeah. It's awesome.
0: Yep. Well, when did you think I might do this professionally? When did that happen?
1: I was uh, – so I I was training with Mark. I met Mark Hunt because we were using the same jiu-jitsu coach back in early 2000s. Yeah. And Mark was just crossing over from K1 to Pride, having his first fight in Pride. And then we teed up as training partners because, man, there was only like – Three or four guys in Sydney, they're actually competing in MMA back then, twenty years ago. Right. So um, we ticked up and we started training together. And and Mark um, brought me over to Japan as a as part of his team when he had one of his fights. And I wasn't aware of how big MMA is because here it was still illegal in New South Wales. We had to go up to Queensland to compete because it was legal up there. Down here, illegal. Okay. Um, so we went over there and man, as soon as he got off the plane, he was like Michael Jackson, man, he's, everyone's all swarming around him and the shows there, they were like, man, 60, 80,000 people in Tokyo Dome. It's yeah, pretty full on, you know, that was huge. And, and the amount of success that I've seen him have and I thought, you know, man, he's just a, a great leader and. And we had a lot of conversations too. And he's like, Yeah, well, you should you should have a go in there too. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a one fight. Uh I'll get you a go in there. And I was like, Oh, who me? And he goes, Yeah, you better, you better do it right. In there. If, I, if I'm doing it, then why can't you do it? And I'm like, So I went back home, scratching my head, and that that statement played on my head for like, you know, for months. And I'm thinking, okay, well, nah, I'm not that good. Then I'll go, oh, maybe is, you know. So he's He's planted that seed in my head and just been a, a great leader for, you know, for me and, and then the next ones to come.
0: What about that? He's planted a seed and then it's just grown. Like just those little words saying that you, you could do this. Like before then you didn't even think about doing it and then you had a little taste of it. When did you actually make your decision to – when was your first cage fight? After After that – had you already had a cage fight before this?
1: I can't remember. I think so around that time. Your brother, like, your brother yeah.
0: used to run some fight promotions. Yep. And you jumped on one or two of those, I yep. guess. Yep. Um, mate, I'd like to go into the pain tolerance because for the listeners that don't know you, like, man, for you to make the UFC, that fight that you had to win, is that the one where you dislocated your shoulder? Was that that one? And then…
1: No, no, nah, nah, nah. no. So there was a, a, a snapped that. bring and snapped them. Oh, oh no, no,
0: that was in the UFC, but before UFC. Oh, before UFC. Yeah, dislocated a shoulder, and was it Tyson's dad maybe put yeah. the shoulder back in? Yep. In the corner, I remember it was crazy vision. It was like a movie. Here is this guy dislocated shoulder. Trainer comes over, yank, puts the shoulder back in. You went out there and won the fight and earned a contract to the UFC. Is that right? Yeah, it was like and we had one of the
1: fights to earn the contract yeah, one of to the, the UFC. To earn, that's right. But it was, um I guess, like going through those, you know, hard adversities, like those dis- dislocations and whatever I had, I, they come from like training, I guess, and, you know, because I always come last, even when we sparred, I'd lose that round. If we have a sprint race, I'd lose that round. The first few rounds I'd lose – But I knew everyone I would catch up yeah. and then overwhelm or tire someone out and get you at the end.
0: Because you have this crazy pain tolerance. Like then your first UFC fight, I remember, or in Sydney, and there it is. You go out, you snap that arm, there's a kick to the head and you block the kick and your arm breaks. You end up winning that fight. They stop the fight when you're punching the guy on the ground with the broken arm. So you (laughs) – like you – and tell me what that was like. Like what was – Like your arms snapped and you're you're winning the fight by
1: punching him. Like you obviously knew it was broken. Well, I knew something was broken. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I knew something was broken when I couldn't even like, when I was trying to hit him, it was like that. My, I couldn't make a fist sort of thing. So it was like a sponge. I was hitting him with a sponge and he's getting like this on the ground, get the sponge away from me. But (laughs) he was gassed. He was tired or pretty much overwhelmed him from being fitter and wanting it more. Yeah. And they heard the ref say, you know, protect yourself. Otherwise, I'm going to stop the fight. You're not protecting yourself. And as soon as I heard that, I'm on top of him. and I'm just going to town with the sponge that I got yeah. until the ref pulled me off and he, he got, the, the got the fight. Yeah, So got the win.
0: you just mentioned he was gassed. That was a big thing of yours. You always just outworked people, right? Yeah. And well, that yeah. came from years and years and years of it, but – you loved it even, like, when you felt it in a fight. Did you ever talk to the opponent about, hey, I know
1: you're gassed here? Did, <laughs> that,
0: did that ever happen?
1: I had a fight with this dude over in, um, in England. Yeah. And this guy was on a 16-fight win streak. Yeah. Ryan Jimmo. Um, he had recently just set the new UFC record fast, quickest knockout in history, six seconds or something, five seconds. Um and this guy had full talents of the dude right i thought okay well i'm gonna fight this guy this guy's gonna get me a few times i'm gonna have to wear a few shots yeah and then just you know weather the storm and get him towards the end so that's exactly what happened first round we come out he throws a head kick hits me in a temple um i wake up as my as i fall down i wake up as my head bounces off the canvas that's when i'm waking up and he's Going like Donkey Kong over the top of me, trying to finish me off, and I've managed to survive. Second round, okay, he's given everything, everything to me, you know, and he's, I'm still here. So you see what else he got? Yeah. Nothing else came. Third round. Meanwhile, I'm like talking in his ear. Is that all you got? So he just threw a head kick at me. And hey, and hang on.
0: So pretend I'm him. So I'm gassed. What are you saying to me?
1: <laughs> what, what are you saying? As you're like hitting me, as I'm punching you, if yeah, we're like yeah. in a, you know, yeah. been tied up in the clinch, and I'm, yeah. all, I'm saying to him, "Is that all you got? Is that all you got?" So yeah. then he'll give like another big effort, yeah. and then, and I'm like, "Are you getting tired? Hey, you getting tired? <laughs> eh? And he goes, "What? What?" And then he'll give another big effort, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, tired, eh? Tired." tired. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just here, yeah, you know. I like to do these ones through the pot a bit, so yeah. and it worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, how did you win that in the end? He gassed He just gassed Yeah, he just couldn't keep up with my pace. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I won by a decision. Yeah, right. Yeah. What did you um,
0: what did you say to him at the end? Like, what's how does that like you stirred the pot the whole time? You win by decision. What's the respect like between fighters once that's finished?
1: So, the respect for each other is um, something that no one else really understands because we put our head down for three months for that fight. He puts his head down for three months for that fight. Um, We make all these sacrifices that no one else really understands except for your opponent. Yeah. So, like, we know, you know, what we've both been through. We've been through the trenches, sacrificed a lot. So we have a lot of um, compassion and empathy and admiration for each other knowing that what you went through. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love the fact that um, you enjoyed it as well. We, I know we went through a little period where we said, hey, we've got to just enjoy this, enjoy every minute. Um, tell us about the walkout. Was that the night of the walkout? Was that the one in England? Yeah. The, for that fight? Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to actually go to YouTube if I can talk to the crew next door. We're going to go and watch a walkout here which people could go on YouTube and search if you're listening to the Audible. Just search James Tahuna walkout. Now this is in front of millions of people and you've come out (laughs) in a suit doing a Men in Black choreographed dance with (laughs) with your crew that you had with you in London. What was the USC reaction of this? Like, this went viral at the time, I remember. It was huge. Like, have a look at you. Talk about enjoying your work. You've come out and danced. You've got your suit on. You've got the swag going. You've got the sunglasses on. What did this feel like and what, what made you do this? Was Dana White okay with this?
1: Yeah, they were yeah, okay with it. We, yeah. we pitched it to them. We, we told them what was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, I guess we told them you know, like an hour or two before. Yeah. So we kind of put them on the spot, you know, yeah. look. but we've all rehearsed it. It's going to look good. So like, they put the trust into <laughs> us because the UFC officials, or staffs, they would have had a lot on their plate already. So they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, go.
0: So you're in there warming up, you got your fight gear on, you're warming up, and people would have seen you all of a sudden you're putting a suit on. What's going What is going on here? Like no one's done that before. Um. So you're a bit of a game changer in fight walkout. So are they doing crazy stuff like that anymore? I know Ty comes out with some good music. Yeah, Tito yeah. Vasa comes out with. Um, he's even had Celine Dion. Yeah, and he comes out singing and smiling, like enjoying that part. What does that feel like? Walking out in front of fifty, sixty thousand people, and knowing that millions are watching. Like, what does that? What's that buzz feel like? Do you miss that?
1: Yeah, it's a um, it's a it's exactly what a lot of people how a lot of people describe it as being a roller coaster of emotions. I feel I'm nervous, I'm scared, I feel awesome, I'm high as a kite. I all these different emotions I'm feeling. So it's just like a, a mixed bag of emotions. <laughs> it's so you know, I've got a lot of feelings yeah. throughout the walkout.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. You can't. There's nothing that can replace that, is there? That's what a lot of fighters miss. Like you miss that, that rush. I'm sure that's why fighters keep making comebacks. Like it's, it's a crazy rush. Yeah, the whole thing. It's, it's a real thrill. Yeah. eh? it's a yeah. real, it's a real
1: big thrill. It's um, you know, because you're walking up and you're getting into, into this cage and is you don't have your team with you. You don't have anyone else with you. Yeah. That door's going to lock and it's just you and the other person that's trained for three months and sacrificed a lot to, you know, to get you. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. Uh, but it's fulfilling after you, um, massive sense of accomplishment after the fight's done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. big fulfillment. Yeah.
0: I had and um, had some years, many years actually with Danny Green <clears throat> who came on your team. <clears throat> ...excuse me, came on your team um, for one of the trips, I think Vegas maybe. Yeah. But I remember before his fights, and we're talking world world title fights... ...and he would get the staff together in the room and pump the music up... And get them all in a circle and tell everybody to dance. Mm-hmm. And I, so there I am doing me one, one, <laughs> one, and un, one and only move my vanilla ice shuffle... Um, so everyone had to dance and they all stand around clapping and I remember saying to him once <clears throat> like at the time you just do what everyone's doing. <clears throat> I said to him what's going on here and he said mate I'm the one fighting. Why are they nervous? I don't want to see my team nervous. I'm the one who gets in and the, the cage or for you the cage gets locked. <clears throat> and um and he said yeah I'm I'm the one who's going out there so I want my team to be enjoying their work as well so Dance everybody, dance! He tells them, you know, it was pretty cool, pretty cool. And you, you took it to another level. You had your team dance on the walkout.
1: Yeah, well, like we practiced almost every night leading up to that. It was funny because uh, the reason why we done that was we were over there for two weeks, over in England. Yeah. So over there, two weeks prior to the fight, um, there's five of us in our team. We all training together, you know, staying together. So we run each other twenty four seven. Yeah, and um, we needed our space. Yeah, and we learned from that trip. You know, you need your space, and we didn't have a space, so there's a bit of, you know, fighting and bickering going on, and you know, team was kind of breaking up. So one night, uh, me and a mate, we we got together and we said we were talking about uh, watching entrances or something, and and you know that conversation got brought up about entrance. How about doing entrance? What would you do? I was like, oh, I've always been a fan of. Will Smith, um, love his movies and music. Yeah. It'd be cool doing like a, uh, a Men in Black walkout or something. I always had it in my mind. And then he goes, oh yeah, that will be that'll be pretty cool actually. And that was a green light for me. Yeah, sweet, you wanna do it? He goes, how, how? So I went on YouTube and found a tutorial, pitched it to the other coaches and training partners. And then, man, every nights after training, we would move aside. We're in the lounge room, push the couches to the side and then on this um, iPad, bring up the tutorial and then practice it for about twenty minutes and we were all laughing and just it brought the team together.
0: Mate, that's so there's some gold in that because you just said it's so important to have the team together. And laughter does that. <clears throat> Dancing obviously. Um you're wearing an Indigenous hat I noticed. I worked with the Indigenous team this year and I realized there's something really important they did every night they practiced their dance that they were going to do pre-game. And the dance has a lot of meaning to them, there's a lot of history, a lot of storytelling in it, and it means a lot to them. And as a performance guy, like I'm looking at it going, you know what, they're dancing at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, like, come on, we've got training tomorrow. And so you're kind of thinking, in the back of your mind you're thinking, that's not the ideal preparation for training. But then you realise the value in the connection that they had And the laughter that they had, and the team, the morale that was built within the team, and you realise, hey, that bit's just as important as the training, or if not more important, depends what where you're at. And and I think that's pretty genius. You're away, you're basically your own boss. You're the fighter. You're paying all these people to be there, and you realise there's little splinters happening in the camp, and you brought them together with some fun, you know, (laughs) like this. There's something in that. There is, you know, yeah. like yeah. if there's a team struggling or if there's a team out there that is, you feel little divisions or splinters, then <clears throat> you might be better off doing something fun, mm. you know. I've had experiences with head coaches over the years that, right, we're not training today. Let's go. We're doing this as a team. <clears throat> Bring some laughter. And you did it. You did it organically by the sound of it. I don't think you were trained up in... Developing team cohesion and stuff like that—you just did it naturally. It was just,
1: you know, you know, the way I talk to you in a candid manner. So,
0: <laughs> yes,
1: you just did it. How good? Brought it up, threw it out there, and yeah, everyone went with it. Yeah, cool. All right, let's let's make it happen. Eh? How good? All right, sweet.
0: So, did Will Smith ever contact you and say thanks? Oh, damn. Will, Will Smith. I know you're a listener. If um, well you can come on the show anytime, anytime you want, Will. But uh, I think he should give you a shout-out, just reach out to you somewhere. (laughs) Mate, let's go to what you're doing now. You're doing some incredible stuff with youth. It's a passion of yours. I can see it's been through all your influences as you grew up and how maybe some tough times you grew up. So there's something you really feel for these kids. Can you explain to me what you're doing and is there any lessons there that listeners can take? So the, the teachers, the coaches, the trainers, the leaders, the business people? that listen, is there any lessons they can take from your passion and your daily work with youth and assisting people in that space?
1: So I work with uh, male youth from the ages of 12 to uh, 17 who are in, in, um, out of home care, so uh, fostered male youth. Uh, they're at a, in a, a vulnerable time in their life um, and then maybe disengaging in school or, or at home, their current... Um, places where they where they're staying. Um, so I'm, I come in my services. I come in as a, a mentor and a role model, and um, I see them. We do like a weekly catch up, and uh, you know we go out for feed stuff like that, hang out and just build their bond and rapport and just get to know each other. They they learn a lot about me. I learn a lot about them, and then we figure out as a team, the young person, the carers, um, the family. Um, how we can, you know, get ourselves back on, back into something like more meaningful, something positive, um, because they disengage in in a few things. We get them back on track by just basically, you know, finding out what they're interested in—sports or footy or or music. Or music is a big one. The young yeah. teenagers, yeah. Um, gym work or just being around men in general, because. They don't have a lot of that in their – like a positive role model. model in their life. Yeah. And um, if they don't have that, then they're going to f- navigate their own way and there might be a chance where they, you know, don't get on the right the right path. So I'm that person to come in weekly, we have like a weekly catch-up and go for feed or, you know, what are your goals? What are your interests? am oh, actually, you know, I love footy. Yeah. I, um, I want to get better at this, this, that, that. Okay, we'll explain the process, start working out the steps. Whatever can we do for how do we get better? So then they get to work it out themselves. They throw out suggestions. Yeah. I help them through it. I don't tell them what to do. I just guide them through it. And um, we execute it. And there's little rewards there. And then they see themselves, in, you know, improving, like, you know, ticking boxes and they started build, having a connection to, you know, footy or, or music or, you know, and just everything rolls off from there.
0: Mate, I feel I feel how much care you have for them and then I feel that once they know you care, which I'm sure they do, and, and you even the way you said, straight away you go and get to know them and they get to know you and you connect in different ways. You're not telling them what to do. You're being there to support them. You're a... You're a resource to them to support them on this life, be a role model. It's so genuine when I hear you talk about it. Like it's not just a job. We spoke about this before and for the listeners, if they know, it was quite a few years ago I'm working with a very elite level team and I offer you a full-time job and you knock it back and you say, no, I can't do it because I have loyalties to. You had some part-time work in footy with another club that you decided to stay very loyal to people that gave you a crack even though I felt like saying, come on, brother, we go way back. (laughs) Anyway, offered you this job. You say no because you're doing this youth work. And then a couple of years later I'm at another club where I say, man, I need you. And you go, oh, don't know, don't know because I've got this youth work. So this youth work's always been so passionate. But then you did come and help me. Um, And now you still do some stuff. You do some stuff with the Penrith Panthers. So you still have that connection and, because I know the reason I chased you, like people, we probably haven't gone down in this episode, but if there was 17 rugby league players with your mentality and your training discipline, you never get beat. And I'm serious about that. When when I knew you as an athlete, even the way you train through injury, play through injury, like you, you won fights with broken arms and bones and wrists and thumbs and like… The injuries you've been through, you turn up every day and just train hard. It didn't matter how you felt. When I ever met you, like you'd come in busted from sparring the night before and as soon as you turn up to work, you worked, you trained that hard. Your mentality, even the way you balance the hard work with the enjoyment, stirring the pot, um, <laughs> but um, your fighter's mentality, if there was a team of, Players that had your mentality, you don't lose, simple as that. So that's why I always wanted you to somehow share that. Um, it's really great to hear that you're now still doing a bit of that. But you never would come over full time. We've tried. Craig Catterick's tried. We've all tried to get you full time and you you would never do it because of this passion of youth work. And I just want to congratulate you on that because you're making a difference to a lot of lives, you know. You can s- I talk to other people who tell me stuff you're doing as well, but even just hearing that from you, like it's a genuine, genuine care,
1: isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I um I guess like me as a teenager too, growing up and I felt you know, I was with I was lucky enough to be with my family, but there were a number of times where I found that isolation through experiences and um try to do things myself and figure it out myself. But um to having to have a mentor and a, a role model there would have made a huge difference, big, big difference. And um, there's young male youth, there's a lot out there that don't have that opportunity. So that can make a – that plays a massive, massive part. It's a big role. It's a critical role to have male mentors and and role models. Is there any hurdles
0: in place? Like, Is there any stuff that gets in your way doing this job or is there anything that – you know there must be good times and bad times with this job too. Like,
1: yeah, is there any like is there any bad times? Well, yeah, there's some really unfortunate times. There's some bad times, some some bad experiences. There- but um, it's all uh, it's all a learning curve for yes. everyone involved. Yeah, it's all a learning curve, and it's only just going to get better as each day goes, goes by. Each you know year, every generation will just get better and better and better.
0: So, what are your highlights in the job? What are the good things? Like, what what makes you feel? What gives you the biggest rush? You used to get a rush by walking out in front of fifty thousand people. <clears throat> now, what gives you your job satisfaction these days? What What give me a highlight?
1: I just I like having the the connection with the young fellas when they're um when they've been disconnecting with you know a lot of others in their life, yeah. and then being able to connect with them. And then being able to um, you know teach them a few things and also learning a few things from them as well. Yeah, um, I enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoy that because you know they everyone's got a great potential. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't the um, you know I'd I'd learning difficulties. I was a person that came last. I was you know I, I wasn't really much, but I had I guess um, the faith in myself yeah. and. Um, over the years, i was surrounded by some great people like yourself. Yeah. They made a huge, huge difference. So my environment makes a uh, made a massive impact. Yeah. So now own, you're um, creating a good environment for these kids. And
0: yeah. Oh man. Um, so. Do you train with them? Have like you said, you're learning as well. There's a lot of kids into the music. Are you? Are you telling me now you have music skills or no? <laughs> Not yet. Not I'm trying yet. to learn from them. Okay, so you're learning. <laughs> I, I dare say none of them have challenged to fight you.
1: Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, a couple. like to uh, banter and stuff. And, oh, you yeah, know. Banter, yeah, yeah, yeah. banter only. They wouldn't do <laughs> They wouldn't dare. But it's good for them. Um, yeah, your yeah, music, man. Just it's something behind music, eh? That's been able to connect yeah. everyone. Yeah, 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 mate. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on. You're,
0: like I said, if people want to follow more of what you do and um, look into your your career, but also like just you as a person and what what how much care you have for helping other people, like that's what this podcast is about. So. We didn't script anything here. We just chat away, and I'm sure some people got some stuff out of it. One of them definitely is the environment you create, um, being a good role model, connecting, and you said something there about not telling kids what to do, but just helping them find out what they're passionate about and helping them. There's some there's some gold in that.
1: Yeah, yeah You're giving them a chance to you know better speak and yeah, and really you know let them know that you're actually listening. To what they're saying yeah
0: thanks brother so good mate thanks for coming on i've been you trying to it, get you, i've been trying to get you on here for years too, <laughs> this guy's so hard to get anyway thanks brother thank you man some of the best learning you will ever do will be traveling give yourself space time to creatively think to learn to meet people or Take a vacation with your family. Give yourself that time, and there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripadil. Their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish. They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripadil is the place to go, tripadil.com.au.